0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, power and prejudices. This year, 2024, is an election year in America, a presidential election year. And so we will be doing two podcasts a week rather than our usual one because we want to and because we know you can't get enough Americano in your life. I am delighted to be joined today by Todd Bensman, who is fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies and author of Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Todd, we've had you on before, um, and I think you may have been at the border then. You're, you're at the border still. You're in Texas.
1: Yes, uh, I'm in Eagle Pass, Texas.
0: Well, we'd like to talk to you about the crisis at the border, which I think the Biden administration has now acknowledged is a crisis or accepted is a crisis but before we do that I think given the week that Joe Biden has had I'd like to ask you just quickly if you don't mind about how bad Joe Biden's sort of frailty physical and mental frailty is getting in the in the mind of the American public I mean this week we've had three quite major mistakes he mistook Emmanuel Macron for Mitterrand from Germany, he said he mistook the Egyptian president, Al-Sisi, for said he was Mexico's president. And he muddled up Angela Merkel and Helmut Kohl. If I'm remembering, it's actually always easy when criticizing Biden's memory to get it wrong yourself. But I think I've got that right. And another thing happened yesterday, which is that the, the Department of Justice um, produced this sort of odd report about Biden, which was almost excusing him over his lack of memory on the documents uh sorry, the classified hoarding classified documents thing he's he's being accused essentially or he is guilty perhaps of the same crime that donald trump is supposed to have committed and a special counsel said that biden was a, a well-meaning old man with a poor memory he has rebuffed that quite forcefully but it's a very odd situation is it not for america to be led by a man who everybody increasingly acknowledges is not really all there?
1: Well, like everything else, that falls very uh, cleanly on the partisan divide in the United States, which is wide, and as wide as ever, with, uh, as you know, the Republicans have been beating that drum for a long time now. Uh, But I think importantly, the Democratic base has been nervous about his state of being, his health for a long time as well. They just don't talk about it as much. They sort of kind of dismiss it. And I think that this report feeds more into the Democratic concern about their candidate. And there is there is talk about, you know, a kind of a, of a Statue of Liberty play, you know, and, and football, uh, kind of a, um, you know, something like a last-minute switch or, or something to that effect. I mean, Michelle Obama's been talked about. And the more uh, reporting that there is about this, I think the more erosion it does on on the Democratic side. But I kind of also half expect that they'll just dismiss this and, you know, just kind of keep going. The American people see what's going on. I mean, whatever spin you want to put on this, I think the American Voting public understands exactly what's going on, uh, despite the spin. You can see the video. You can see, you can see this. It's 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 visceral. Yes. So I think that's going to matter in the November four election if they don't switch out candidates. And I don't think they will switch out candidates. But I think the prospect of them switching out candidates is slightly higher today than it was yesterday.
0: We heard we hear this term gaslit. A lot, and it's particularly said by Americans, tends to be Republicans, but also independents, and now increasingly some Democrats, as you say, who are saying that the Biden administration is gaslighting them. And it's, you know, they tell them that uh, Joe Biden's actually there's nothing wrong with him. They can see with their own eyes that there is. Ditto, this brings me on to the border question. For a long time, the Biden administration effectively stuck its head in its hand or its hands in its ears and said nothing really about the border. Or when it did, was dismissive, suggested that it was exaggerated by the Republicans and so on. And it would not acknowledge that there's a border crisis. But Americans, particularly people who live near the border, could see that it was. Could you just, first of all, because this is your subject of expertise, give us an overview of how bad the illegal
1: crossings are at the southern border? Former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson, a few years ago, said that when he was in office, if he woke up and there was about a thousand illegal immigrant apprehensions in a day, that he was gonna have a very bad day, that this was a crisis level, that that a thousand a day swamped all systems. That was just a few years ago, so the systems haven't been expanded. And we have seen for the last three years running 7,000 a day, 8,000 a day, 10,000 days, 14,000 days at this border, literally millions and millions of people have crossed that border and have been allowed into the country. The reason that they're coming is because the administration lets 80, 90% of them in uh, that we know of and that they even admit to. That is the definition of an open border. Uh, we believe at the Center for Immigration Studies that somewhere on the order of five to five and a half million people have been allowed into the country in 36 months, maybe 10 million have tried. This was uh, a lot of this was during Title 42, the pandemic rule where there were a lot of pushbacks, You know, some percentage of pushbacks, but now Title 42 is gone. And almost everybody, I think you, I dare say that it's about a 100% chance of entry if you can get to a U.S. Border Patrol agent, you will be allowed into the country and released promptly. That is an order of magnitude that is beyond anything in the American experience. It is so far above and beyond anything that we have ever seen in this country that it ranks as a, as a historic moment in American history like Ellis Island. I believe that we will be teaching this in future generations in secondary school history class. This is, that's how big this thing is. And one other thing is the first couple of years of, of the crisis, uh, I don't think the American people could really feel and, and see it as much. It took a while for the pipeline to get backed up. And, and, and then start overflowing. And now that's been happening for at least a, a year and a half in all the major American cities with just tens of thousands just pouring in, getting on the local public welfare rolls, you know, being sheltered in police stations and airports and schools and anywhere that there's a free uh, bit of space. So the American people see this now, find, no matter what the spin is, they see it and they feel it. In, in their daily lives and in their pocketbooks. Uh,
0: quite a few Republicans say, perhaps quite bitterly, that um, the reason this is only only now being taken as seriously as it, it appears to be, and there's a immigration bill that we'll get onto, is because uh, the migrants are now in blue cities. And that is partly because of this tactic that some uh, Republican governors have used of sending them to democrat cities to affluent democrat cities and suddenly lo and behold democrats realize that there's a problem whereas when it's somebody else's problem they're quite happy to ignore it do you think that's a fair point or do you think that's been exaggerated
1: I think there's no truth whatsoever to uh, this notion that governors are busing or sending anybody anywhere right it's just simply not true Uh, what they're doing is they're offering free fare to people who were going there anyway. A governor can't make somebody get on a bus or round them up and, you know, with with batons force them onto a bus and drive them to someplace that they don't want to go. Mm. So that the just the foundational uh, the premise of the of the question doesn't work because these are all people who would go to New York or Chicago anyway. They just pay the hundred bucks for bus fare. Right. It's it's a little bit of uh, political theater on the part of uh, the uh, Republican governors that have d- that have done this. It looks kind of funny that they're sending, but they can't send anybody. All of them have to sign a voluntary uh, a waiver of that they're that they're uh, getting on the bus voluntarily. And in any case, the vast majority of people in those cities did pay their own bus fare or airfare or uh, managed to get themselves to these cities on their own anyway percentage of people that got free bus fare from a state like texas is minuscule compared to the total in those cities so the whole thing on on every possible count is bogus
0: i've often wondered actually why the question of state power isn't questioned more in in the public debate in the political debate about this because i mean i don't know the exact law on this but Republican, I mean, uh, state governors in Texas, Abbott in in Texas, they do have quite a lot of power to stop it. Do they? Do they have to have federal enforcement?
1: The the key to deterring and stopping this uh, mass migration crisis is detention and deportation, and none of that is happening. The administration on the very first day, inauguration day, ended deportation in the interior of the country and drastically reduced the pushbacks under even the pandemic, Title 42, and 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 ended de- detention for almost everybody. So a state can't really detain and deport. Uh, that's the problem. Legally, you know, Greg Abbott can't grab a bunch of immigrants and then like force them over a bridge that's controlled by the Mexicans, the other half of the the other side that Mexicans have to agree to take them. States can't make diplomatic agreements with with countries yes. either. So th- th- there there are logistical, practical, on-the-ground problems with deporting, with a state deporting, but there's also significant legal barriers as well. So I think that unless a state can deport, and detain, uh, then, then you will never stop this. Only the federal government can do that. Now the states can impede; they can kind of uh, divert uh, immigrants to other other states and other areas, and they can do they can cause kind of disruption and things like that. But and and Greg Abbott does do a lot of that. You know, the state of Texas is spending billions of, of its own tax money. To put up razor wire and to block and stop and, to, and and keep them in the river not let them get out of the river but there's always a green uniform border patrol agent right next to them who if they get their hands on the immigrant they're in they get in i was just um on the mexican side uh most of yesterday interviewing immigrants and what the game is there is Uh, They told me that if that they try to avoid the the tan uniformed men of the Texas National Guard and and troopers and look for the green uniform men who are with the Border Patrol, because the Border Patrol green uniform guys will let them in promptly forever into the country. That's the game that's going on here. And as long as there are green uniform guys you're going to have who are not detaining or deporting, you will have mass migration.
0: That's extraordinary. Um, I wanted to ask you about what sort of who these migrants are, because I think there's an assumption in Europe and in Britain that they are Hispanic migrants from Latin America, but in fact, correct me if I'm mistaken, quite a lot of them are African. They're from the same countries quite often that are migrating into Europe and to Britain: Somalian, uh, Ethiopian, and so on. It's part of the kind of global human trafficking. Uh, racket, is it not?
1: Yeah, the one of the great distinctions about this mass migration historic event is that um, close to 50% of everybody reaching this border are not Mexican or Central American. They're from 170 other countries. It stands to reason, uh, you know, I'm not blaming them they're taking advantage of a, of a truly unique and rare opportunity, which is a guaranteed, almost 100% guarantee, that if you can reach the American border, you will be let in permanently. And it's just irresistible. The whole world has heard about this. The whole world is buzzing about this, knows all about it. They're They're coursing through. They have been. The Darien Gap is a great place to sort of put your finger on the pulse of this thing. Uh, that's the passage, the jungle passage between Colombia and Panama. For years and years and years, I've been writing about the, pet, the Darien Gap for a long, long time. It's it's in both of my books on the border. Uh, they get about maybe 8,000, 7,000 in a year, typically, uh, you know, for decades, mostly uh, young, strong, single men. Mm. Last year, they had 450,000 cross through the Darien Gap. Okay. God. Yeah. I'll just let the numbers speak for itself about what's going on with that. They are coming from every corner of the world, tens of thousands of Chinese. I've met Af- Africans from every country on that continent, I'm pretty sure. So, and from everywhere in the world, I, I think um, maybe the most... Um, unusual for me was that I met a family from Dagestan and I couldn't even remember where that was. I knew it was former Soviet. I had to go look it up on the CIA world fact book about where they were from. But Kyrgyzstan, uh, Uzbekistan, Russia, thousands and thousands of Russians, Mm. thousands of Ukrainians, everybody is coming in because it's 100 percent guaranteed you're getting in
0: can you get i appreciate this might be quite a difficult thing to do because of the sheer variety of people coming in but could you give us a, a sort of case study example of what one man's journey might be i mean it, it would start presumably in let's say in Dagestan you know how does how does he get to the darien gap how how does it how does it work
1: i mean a lot it just it depends but um if you have if you're from a country that has a um Visa agreement with Brazil, Ecuador, Colombia, Argentina, Mexico, any of the Central American countries—you could just fly right in on a tourist visa mm. for ten bucks. So a lot of that happens. They fly in, but if if there's if there's visa restrictions, like there is on some Middle East countries and on some African countries, then they they just fake a fake a passport, uh, fake identify identity and and create you know or bribe their way to a visa there's lots and lots of ways to get to a visa to a south american country mm. once they get on the ground in ecuador or you know ecuador's like kind of very liberal they they'll take anybody a lot of them you don't even need a visa and you can just fly right in there and ecuador's right kind of next door to uh, colombia they cross in and then they're in the darien gap within a day or two the Biden administration has made it very uh, short and easy and less dangerous to cross through the Darien Gap. So the numbers crossing through there are just astronomical. They're projected to have half a million or more in 2024 cross through the Darien Gap. Remember what I said, it had been seven and 8,000 a year for decades. Mm. 500,000 tells you that Something really unusual is happening in in this migration. Yes.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the politics again, because there is this immigration bill that's being kicked back and forth between the Republicans and the Democrats. There are other bits added onto it. There's some money for Ukraine. The Republicans suggested adding some money for Israel, I believe, and they are um, sort of disagreeing with each other and blaming each other. For it. President Biden is now suggesting that Donald Trump is to blame because he wants this bill to fail, because he wants immigration to be a problem, because it helps him politically. What do you make of all that?
1: Well, the Republicans in the Senate allowed the Biden administration to get away with the lie that they don't have already the power to end this in in a day the biden administration could shut down that border right now and return 100 of everybody that's caught to mexico mm. and with no chance for asylum that's in ina section 212f you can go look it up google that but he was saying i you have to give me the legislative authority to do that so they were snookered you know in a in a really big, obvious way that they, they were um, somehow found themselves negotiating for to give him a an authority that that he already completely has. The other kind of snookering, I think, that happened was that they the Republicans were unaware, p- perhaps unaware. I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they were unaware. That when the administration talks about putting people in deportation proceedings, that that does not mean that there any of them are actually gonna be deported because the policy of the administration is, yeah, we put everybody in removal proceedings, but we don't actually remove anybody. <laughs> we just release them and we'll let the next administration worry about trying to round them up or find them somewhere to remove them. So there was never any actual deportation or detention requirement in the deal. And remember what I said earlier on in this conversation, if you're not deporting and detaining, you are in a mass migration situation. It's either that or mass migration. Mm. Uh, And so they were negotiating for a mass migration more of a mass migration uh, because some of the other things that they were going to give away would powerfully uh, incentivize it would codify I- incentives for the whole world to get in here as fast as possible before another deal came in and they were and, and everybody realized that they'd been snookered they were going to let every family member in right away 100% guaranteed fa- family groups with with children everybody gets in yeah, and then you wouldn't be able to to um, turn them back, say under a Trump administration, because it would be codified
0: mm. in
1: legislation. So this was a great deal for the Democrats. They were they were building a bulwark against a possible Trump win, where he would be able to uh, do remain in Mexico and do deportations and detention, except for this legislation. It's a great thing that it that it died. The Republican negotiators, uh, you know, I don't know them very well, but I am very embarrassed on their behalf. Yes. fardeau as they say.
0: Can you, can you tell us a, a little bit about remain in Mexico as a policy? Because Trump used it a lot and it seemed to be working. I think that's fair to say. And then the Biden administration has adopted it and is also, let's also talk about the wall. I mean, the Biden administration is also building... A bit of a wall—is that correct?
1: Yeah, there's some repairs and some things like that. They're foot dragging about that. Regarding Remain in Mexico, uh, remember there's a fundamental dynamic here in mass migration, which is that if there's no deportation and detention, in other words, if you're getting released as soon as into the country, that's the uh, holy grail for all immigrants that are crossing the border. They just wanna be released into the country to just disappear. And the way they do that typically is they claim, make an asylum claim at the border and then we release them into the country. And so they, they, they usually don't even pursue the asylum claim. It's, the asylum claim is unimportant. It's the act of, of triggering the first step of it that's important. What Remain in Mexico did is it took that away. It said, you can claim asylum, but you're not going to be released into the country. You're not getting the Holy Grail. You're going to be in Mexico. And when everybody in the villages heard that, well, we're not going to get released, we're going to have to wait in Mexico for five years, they stayed home. The numbers just dive bomb. Nobody wants to come for the great Mexican dream. They're coming for the great American dream. And That's why Remain in Mexico is so powerful as as a stopgap measure to legislation that would fix the asylum law in a permanent way. I guess you don't have to fix it because the Supreme Court has upheld Remain in Mexico, all challenges. The Biden administration is not using it. They are catching and releasing everybody into the country, as I said. The A-Trump administration, assuming he would win, would very quickly on the first day start pushing all everybody back to remain in Mexico for their asylum claims. Uh, so that would stop the mass migration crisis immediately. That that alone would end it immediately. The the a uh, Trump administration also could use 212 section 212 F to push back everybody else if they wanted. Um, well, I guess
0: this leads us on to the real question: of why meaningful reform just doesn't seem to happen? Um, meaningful reform that would, would that would help address the crisis doesn't seem to happen. And you hear Republicans say a lot that you know Biden's just importing f- future voters, and that's one one line of argument. I wonder what you think of that. Another argument you hear, which is a sort of more traditionally left wing argument, but it's now used a lot on the right, is that big business likes mass even illegal immigration because it keeps wages low and the labor market's pretty tight and so it it helps with that but as a as a non-american i wonder if there is something there is a psychological block in america particularly on the on the liberal or left liberal side because america has always seen itself as this land of opportunity that anyone can come come there and it's part of its its mind its mindset of the, of the national mindset and perhaps that means that it's always struggled to tackle this issue but i that said it's not as though europe and britain have not got similar
1: problems it's true i i just spent a month in uh europe in the balkans visiting all the borders and interviewing the immigrants the dynamics are exactly the same uh the europeans are not deporting anyone and when you talk to the immigrants and ask them why they're coming, the 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 answer is because they're not deporting us. Yeah, that's so. I mean, there's no there's there's no complexity here at all. Uh, it's it's all very straightforward and simple. However, the to, when when um, American uh, liberals and even European liberals ever talk about the illegal border entries, they try to smudge this in with legal systems with legal immigration, as though it's all just immigration. It's one big kind of a clump that, but, and that's by design, that's a uh, kind of a a rhetorical political tool to kind of get by illegal immigration to kind of make it okay. You know, I've had interviewers ask me pretty often, uh, especially on the, on the left, you know, we need labor, why not just let everybody in, you know, because we need labor? And the answer is that because we have a legal system for that that's been approved by Congress to meet the labor needs. And we have another system that is designed to, to enforce and support that legal system by blocking illegal entries, by stopping illegal entries. So you raise one up on the pedestal, and you try to suppress the other one, and they kind of work hand in glove this way. But when you merge illegal immigration with legal immigration, you confuse the public. And I think the public is very confused that it's been a very uh, artful and effective device to just call it all immigration. It's not. No country on the planet brooks mass illegal immigration. Not one. Does what what the United States is doing, letting a hundred percent of everybody who reaches the border in to the country to disappear. But you say
0: you say artful Todd. Who is being artful? Then why are they using this artifice? Why 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 do that?
1: Well, it goes back to uh, the late 1990s. I, I have a a chapter in my book all about this. Uh, the language, the new language that they developed after certain legislative de- defeats. There, there is a constellation, a large constellation of migrant advocacy organizations and uh, the United Nations and groups that, you know, frankly earn a lot of bank on uh, resettling refugees. and uh, And so it's to their benefit to make an argument for more, always more and more Mm. Uh, because, you know, there's a, a dollar per head. I mean, I don't mean to be overly cynical about it, but I can't help myself. That's what it is. It's Maybe it's ideological in a sense that, you know, it's nice. It feels good to help poor people, mm. but it certainly doesn't hurt to make a whole lot of money while you're doing it. Uh, let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, and so, so um, after certain legislative defeats, they came up with the, uh, on purpose, and I write about this in my book extensively. Whole studies have been done, academic um, reporting, uh, the whole thing about how they, that industrial complex—I call it the migrant advocacy industrial complex—got together with um, you know big Democratic uh, funders and donors to come up with campaigns that purposefully pounded on major newspapers and media organizations to start using certain terminology, and it worked. Uh, And I think it's been very confusing for uh, your uh, rank and file American voter to kind of like differentiate between that. And then in the end, people are saying, well, we needed the labor anyway, you know. Uh, Well, let's make lemonade out out of the lemons. Why not make lemonade out of the lemons? We need them anyway. And of course, the answer to that is that countries are supposed to decide who gets to come in uh, and that we don't cede that authority. No country cedes that authority to foreign nationals. We don't say you get to decide. We get to decide. Uh, You know, we're the country.
0: Mm.
1: So and no other country does that. It's a sovereignty issue. It's a it's a rule of law issue. It's a high moral principle, I would argue, yes. that nation states get to decide
0: who comes in. Well, Todd, I think we'll end it there. But thank you very much for coming on to Americano. Uh, I highly recommend to Americano listeners that uh, they get your book Overrun, which is about this incredibly important topic. And I think whatever your politics, everybody has to acknowledge now that this is a uh, the issue of our time in many ways. So thank you very much for coming on to uh, talk about it with us, Todd.
1: Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it.
0: That's it for uh, that episode of the Americano podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I'd like to thank our brilliant spectator production team, uh, Natasha Farrell, my producer, Oscar Edmondson, who's sitting opposite me. And I would like to ask any listeners who have ideas as to who they think. I should get on the podcast. Um, We're going to be doing two a week, so we have to come up with plenty of ideas this year. And often you have much better ideas than I do. So please do get in touch if you have an idea of a guest that you think we should try and get on the show or a subject that you think we haven't covered that we should be covering. And please email that to podcast at spectator.co.uk or you can get in touch with me directly on Twitter. I think my handle is Freddie Gray Thirty One Which is depressingly how old I was when I set up my Twitter account. Okay, please do that. Goodbye.